starting with verse 1. Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And Father, we just ask again for your Holy Spirit uh, to be the one to speak to our hearts. Uh, Thank you for the presence of your Spirit here in our hearts, in this place, and in your word. In your name we pray, amen. I don't know, any of you guys like Charlie Brown? You watch it, my kids still like that. It's, it was Thanksgiving Day and the aroma of roast turkey uh, filled Charlie Brown's house. Now Snoopy's outside lying on top of his doghouse and he smells the aroma and Snoopy's thinking, it's Thanksgiving Day. Everybody eats turkey on Thanksgiving Day. So he lies there watching the back door, eagerly awaiting for his Thanksgiving dinner. Finally, the door opens, and here comes Charlie Brown with a big bowl of dog food. And he puts it on the ground. Snoopy gets off his house and stares at the dog food with a forlorn look on his face. And he thinks, just because I'm a dog, I have to eat dog food on Thanksgiving Day. In the next scene, you see Snoopy looking at the dog food more intently, and he's thinking, it could be worse, I could be the turkey. (laughs) You and I haven't been called to be the sacrifice, have we? Not the sacrifice, not the sacrifice for sin. We haven't been called to be that sacrifice For only Jesus could fulfill that, and he did fulfill that in his great love for us, didn't he? We've not been called to be the sacrifice. That said, he has called us, as we just read, he has called us to be holy, separated unto him, and be living sacrifices, right? Eating, as it were, a dog food, if that's what he gives us, instead of the turkey that we would rather have, right? We have been called to be living sacrifices and to give our lives in service to Him. In other words, to be so grateful and so thankful uh, for the eternal life we have been given that we would willingly forsake our former mantra, which was to please ourselves. That's, That's what all people that, you know, I want the best life I can possibly, the best 
possible life for me, attain what I can attain, acquire what I can acquire, enjoy, you know, not, and not all in some kind of evil way. A lot of it's for my children and grandchildren. Uh, but again, none of those things are the focus of the believer once we yield ourselves as living sacrifices. We now would live to please our Lord and Savior. Amen? And that's a totally different calling. A lot of people live for their family. A lot of people live for uh, acquiring a legacy, but that doesn't mean that they're living sacrifices on the Lord. There's a totally different, many, many uh, good members of society do that. But that's not what Paul is, he's talking about being a living sacrifice. And through the Holy Spirit's leading, Paul calls this reasonable, doesn't he? That it would be reasonable to lay down our lives as living sacrifices. Jesus said to take up our cross and follow him. And he didn't defend it for a second as unreasonable. He just said, do it. Take up our cross and follow him. Now this would be, the way Paul writes, the way Paul writes in all of his epistles, this would be the normal, logical response as a Christian, wouldn't it? The normal response. Paul's like, this, this, is the, this, is, this is axiomatic. Christ gave his life for you, therefore you give your life back in service to him. And we've talked about this. It's always the way it works. Right? You know, when we talked about giving on Sunday, when we get to heaven, we receive our crowns. What do we do? We give them straight back to the Lord. So this living sacrifice is reasonable service. This would be the normal response, but even though it should be the normal Christian response, is it always? Is it always the normal response, even for you and me? Easy to point everybody out, but is it an easy, is it a normal response that we would surrender our lives as living sacrifices. And if not, why not? Why, why would so many, even in the body of Christ, so many Christians consider that foreign? That, you know, I mean, you really, really think that we have to truly give our lives as living sacrifices. It, wasn't, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to go out and set yourself on fire or something like the sacrifice in the Old Testament, but that Jesus really is the Lord of our lives, and if his ways, his will, his word dictates how we live. And we say, you know, I used to live to work as much as I could, save as much as I could, do as much of my own things as I could, but now I want to do as much for the kingdom of God as I can in the remaining time that we have. If you're taking notes, I've titled our time in God's word tonight, Reasonable Service. The title, Reasonable Service, we'll look at three things. Uh, whether we get to all three or not, I'm not positive yet, but we'll look at our sacrifice, our sanctification, and our stewardship. Because we have responsibility here. Uh, it, it's clear that we're the ones to present our bodies. Now, God could easily take us and throw us on the altar, couldn't he? But that's not what Paul says. He says we have to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Aren't you always more happy when your kids willingly serve? It, it frustrates and wearies a person when they have to convince somebody else to do 
what you think is reasonable. How many parents think it's reasonable that the kid makes the bed? Reasonable. That's just unreasonable. I do so much around here. All right, name them. Well, I eat, I play, I watch TV, right? I get on my brother's sister's nerves. I do lots of things, right? Reasonable that there would be some level of expectation, but Jesus has a level of expectation for us, and it's that we would be living sacrifices, but he's not saying, I will grab you by the back of the neck and slam you down to the altar, but that you would present yourself as living sacrifices, considering it to be a reasonable service. Let's look first at our sacrifice. Paul says, I beseech you, plead with you, beseech you, like urging you that he calls them brethren, again, the, the family of God, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. We're called here to make a commitment. Make a commitment. Many people stay as far away from commitment as they possibly can. That's why many are waiting to be married a lot longer today and all these, I mean, just stay away from commitment. Uh, uh, whenever I have people say to me, I'll think about it. I, I, my level of confidence that they're going to do what we've just talked about is incredibly low. How about this one? Uh, well, we'll see. Not happening. We might come. You're not coming. Right? None of those things have any level of commitment whatsoever. And we say them because at least the other person doesn't think we just said, we're not coming. But people are smart enough to know you're not coming. Right? For the most part, every now and then someone acts, you know, maybe during the week, the Lord convinces them, you shouldn't say that, you really, you know, and you actually will have a change of heart. But for the most part, those are non-committal answers. And the Lord is saying, I want a commitment are you going to give your lives to me? Are you going to give your lives to yourself? Because that's the only other alternative. The altar of God is giving our lives to him. Uh, The opposite is just giving our lives to ourselves, which is, again, serving our own pleasures is what comes natural to us. We didn't have to be taught that. That's a natural thing. This This is yielding. This is binding yourself up, similar to, you know, Isaac being laid on the altar. It's not a place that uh, the only son of Abraham really wants to be, but is he willing to be? But we're called to make a commitment. You guys know my uh, favorite verse, life verse, 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed in and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I say that verse to myself a lot because I have to be reminded that the commitment I made with the gospel of salvation extends to now my service unto the Lord, and Lord, things that God will put in front of me, I have to commit to them, or they just won't happen. I won't do them. I have to make them commitments. You know, simple things. Like, I I will, Lord, I will commit that uh, to pray and to read before I eat breakfast is an important commitment to me and growing that I really would consider your word better than necessary food. 
Just little things that God will continue to say, are you willing to commit to being a living sacrifice? In a recent study showed that uh, you'll have people throw out all kinds of numbers about how many Americans are born-again Christians. Uh, you'll see numbers as high as 70-80%. Ludicrous, but you'll still see them. You'll see other numbers around 40%. You'll see some around 35%. A recent study uh, that was done uh, really, really to probe people with detailed questions and compare it to New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity, what the apostles wrote, what Jesus himself taught, the number in America is more like 7 to 8%. True evangelical following Christ Christianity, about 7 to 8%. This is, this, the 7 to 8% is what Paul is saying, the, all the body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that some of those folks aren't saved. That's, that's for the Lord to decide. Some of them will be saved. Some of them are not saved. But as far as genuine practicing today, because some of them may uh, all of a sudden the light bulbs or the obedience uh, finally comes into play and then that 7-8% changes. But if that number is even remotely true, uh, then many, many uh, have either never been taught to be living sacrifices or have rejected the teaching. One of the two, right? Either it's not been taught or it's been rejected. The same mercy, he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God, the same mercy that gave us the blood of Christ. Would you agree that it was through mercy God gave his son? The same mercies that gave us Christ and the blood of Christ will also give us the help to lay down our lives. Because you're going to need God's help. Now whatever God, that's why, again, my favorite verses, 2 Timothy 1.12, he's able to help me keep a commitment. He helps me keep a commitment. My smartphone helps me keep commitments because I, I get reminders on it. It also distracts me at times and keeps me from getting things done. That's a different, that's a different problem. But it also helps me keep com- commitments when I say, oh, I need to meet so-and-so. Uh, I was at Bonaire the other day. Oh, I need to, th- uh, need to be there at such-and-so time helps me keep commitments. Now that's minor, but God not only helps us keep us by mentally remind, but he gives us the strength and the fortitude to actually do it, which is more important than just the actual calendar reminder. Wouldn't you agree? We're not talk- uh, a lot of things can help remind you, but God actually empowers you. Big difference, right? It's one thing to be reminded, hey, go help so-and-so. But if it's a really tough situation, maybe in your own family, maybe it's a death, maybe... It's a different thing to be reminded to do it. It's a totally different. Another thing, God does more than that. He gives you the power to do it. The empowerment to not just know to do it, but also we're given that grace to complete things, to lay down our lives. Because in and of ourselves, we can't just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and lay ourselves down at the altar. Unsaved people will never be able to be living sacrifices. They won't. I've met many people that are, that are good citizens, but put under pressure over time, I found out they're not as nice as I thought they were. They're not as benevolent as I thought they were. They're not as self-sacrificing as I thought they were. I can give you a number of examples, real-life examples, and you've seen them too, where people that you thought 
would always have your back, or people that you thought would always be kind, or you, that would never say anything about you, or would ne- and you find out that's not the case. Now, we all make those mistakes, too. I'm not saying Christians by, by no means are perfect. We get off the altar, too, as opposed to never getting on it in the first place, which is a problem both in the body of Christ and certainly a problem before we were saved. But to deny ourselves... We need God's grace, amen? You do. Every little step of growth in the Christian life, you're going to need God's grace. Everything. I mean, I sent out a note on Facebook this week to fast and pray. Some people had never denied themselves to fast, and that's that's a new laying down the altar. But once you do that a few times, God begins, He gives you grace to do it the first time, and you begin to say, wow, Lord, you really do work in this. You really do move. I really can lay down my desires uh, because even there's a strong desire for something like food, isn't there? Just like breathing. Not that bad. <laughs> Breathing's really a good one to have. But, uh, but food and other things that have something to drink, those are things that they are natural in our flesh. But to deny ourselves, to lay down and say, Lord, I will give this time to you. I'll give this meal to you. I'll give these days to you. I'll give these hours of service. You know, we talk, we've talked about many times when you go to Bonaire on a Sunday night, uh, almost invariably, doesn't matter how many times you go, and I'm looking out and I see some of you that go, you know as well as I do, when it, you start looking at the clock around 5, 5.30, you're tired. And it, really what you want to do is stay on the couch because you're comfy especially if your team's winning in football or something like that and, and things are going well. That's not a problem for me lately. But, uh, but if it was, then you're able to, you, you feel like, oh, man, got to get up, got to get a dress, dress shirt back on or do this, do that, and you go. It's being a sacrifice. But you know that, that God cares more about lost souls. You, ha- you think like Christ because the Holy Spirit, you think God cares more about this than he cares about this. Matter of fact, some of it he doesn't care about at all. It's just things that we do. But we are told to lay down and be these living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. See, God, the only acceptable to God is a holy life. Would you agree with that? He will not accept, well, I, I, God, I'm going to serve you, but I'm still going to do a lot of things that you've asked me not to do. You okay with that? That's not going to happen, is it? You know, if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. Much le- So you can, you can say, well, I'm a living sacrifice, but I, I still do these things that the Scriptures say are sin. Now, we all have sin, and we all do sin, but it's a totally different thing to say, these sins I will not give up. You understand the difference, right? Uh, that's called just open rebellion. I will not give up these type of sins, whatever it is. I'm going to continue to be prideful. I'm going to continue to have lust. I'm going to continue to lie to people. These kind of things. You could never say, I'm going to do those things and still be a living sacrifice. No, we have to be holy and live holy lives. Turn over real quick to 1 Peter chapter 4, a passage that many of you probably know, but it's good to us uh, to be reminded of it. 1 Peter chapter 4. Hopefully you're all there soon. Just take a right few chapters over. Well, more than a few, but several. 
But 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. There's that living sacrifice mindset again. Uh, most of Jesus' life was difficult. Would you agree with that? Most of his life was difficult. He, he wasn't well received uh, anywhere he went. He did have a group of people that received him, a small remnant, the disciples and others. But for the most part, uh, those, with, especially those with the political uh, wealth, clout, they did not receive Jesus well. But uh, he suffered for us in the flesh, ultimately the greatest suffering being the Passion Week and the cross. Arm yourselves with the same mind. He who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. You see the opposite contrast. Before salvation, uh, we live for the flesh, but after salvation, we live for the will of God. Complete opposite, right? Before, you live for the will of Tim. Well, you didn't, but I did. I would have been really happy if you would lived for me as well, because that would have helped my lifestyle. But Prior to Christ, we live for the lust of the flesh, but now for the will of God. Verse 3, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these things, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So the world has a system, and the system of the world is Whatever is fun is acceptable. God has a totally different standard. He says, whatever the world thinks is fun is not necessarily what I will allow or condone and those who have been born again. There's certain things that have to go away. We've talked about before. Is a, is a sip of wine sin? No. But clearly being drunk is a sin. No question about it. Drunken idolatries, it's all, it's all laid out there. Um, but yet, the Lord, once we have come to Christ, He gives us a desire for godliness. You, again, you can't manufacture, I, you know, if, you, if you're living in sin, you're going to wake up one day and say, I'm going to be holy. You have to have the Holy Spirit. Only those of us that have the Holy Spirit can respond to the call to be living sacrifices. Does that make sense? I can't speak to a dead person and tell them to go get dressed. But Jesus isn't, Paul's not speaking to dead people. He's speaking to people who've been made alive in Christ. He said, I know you can hear me. You're alive in Christ. At this point, you're still dabbling. Some, not all of them, but some are still dabbling in the world. And Paul says, time out. You can't do that anymore. You have to commit to being living sacrifice. You have to commit to these things, to a holy life, and you'll have the Holy Spirit's help to do it. Paul, I'll never be able to do it. I tried three times in a, I tried three weeks in a row to read my Bible. It didn't work. All right, well, then don't try anymore. Is that what he would say? Of course not. He would say, then you're trying in your flesh. You need to pray and ask the Lord, help me to keep this commitment. And just lay it on down there. There's a big difference between acknowledging truth and committing and standing in truth. A lot of people in churches acknowledge truth. Oh, heads, heads nodding, amening, uh, reading this stuff. Oh, I agree with that, I agree with that, I agree with that. Now commit to it. Hmm, can I see you next week? 
Let me think about it. We already talked about that, what that means, right? means let me forget about it. It's a big difference between acknowledging these things and committing. So Paul's saying, look, you've got to commit to these things. You have to say, Lord, I mean it. And that's, an, that's in the seat of the heart, isn't it? It's in the seat of the heart. Say, Lord, I have resigned myself. When I think about the things that God's called me, I have to resign myself to saying, Lord, this, here's what it comes down. You think about the book Pilgrim's Progress. This world is not my home. Resigning yourself to believing that thought. This world is not my home. Many people continue to think, of, in Christians too, continue to think of this world as their home. Uh, the older you get, you'll realize the home is messed up, isn't it? Your personal tent, house, your own health, as well as the world as a whole, you'll begin to see that this isn't a place you'd want to be forever anyway. You're passing through. Lord, I'm here to do one thing, and that's to glorify you. And to do that, I need to lay down my life as a living sacrifice. Gratitude, reason, when he speaks about acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, why would it be reasonable? Well, one thing that comes to my mind immediately is just gratitude. How many of you are thankful that Jesus died on the cross for you? And, and, you, and you know that it cost him everything. Every drop of blood. You know that getting beaten by a Roman soldier with a cat of You know that his face being marred, that his own mother couldn't recognize his faith. You know that all of that, he knew when he was going to Jerusalem, all that would take place, and he went willingly. You know that he did that for you, and you know that he certainly didn't have to leave heaven to even put on the form of a man, which still boggles. Uh, when I think deeply on that thought, it boggles my mind that God would come down and be us. I, I've never said I want to be an ant and have some five-year-old step on me, right? Well, that's kind of the equivalent. We can laugh about that, but we're like a bunch of five-year-olds stepping on the Lord there at Calvary. And yet he did that so... That alone should produce a lot of gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts. And also a proper understanding of what Christ has done for us, not only the gratitude for uh, the gift of salvation, but a proper understanding that what he's done. When we, you know, this, this weekend we'll have the Harvest Outreach, and we will present, well, Pastor Greg will present the gospel, and then I'll come up, and, and if there's anything else uh, that the Lord would have me add, if there's people that have come forward, and there may be some out there that still haven't, and will present the gospel. For, for people that would come and say, yes, I want to follow Christ, the same way all of us did. I want to give my life uh, to Jesus Christ. They'll need to understand, we won't, we, everything won't be explained that night. Much of what, what discipleship is explaining what you've just done, right? <laughs> so discipleship, it doesn't happen all in a couple of minutes. But one of the things you do learn when you get saved, if you're soundly saved, if you really repented, if you really said, Lord, I want to forsake my sins and I want to be saved and cleansed and forgiven. I want a home in heaven. And when God says, yes, your heart is genuine, you confess with the heart, believe with the mouth, and you're saved, God welcomes you into the family. But once you're in the family, he says, now you need to understand a few things. I bought you at a price, right? 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought 
at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So people have to be, this is what discipleship is. In this church, we try disciple. We need to grow in discipleship. It's not the only thing we need to grow in. But we want to make sure, even when people come to Christ this weekend, that they're properly discipled. I was taking some time to write some things today and that we want them to understand that, yes, you've received a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing you and I could ever do to earn. We didn't earn salvation. We received it. But after salvation, God says, right now, you belong to me. Right? You join the Marine Corps, guess who you belong to? The Corps. Unless you want to be discharged dishonorably, uh, court-martialed, or whatever else the options are. Uh, But as long as you want to be in good standing, you belong to the Corps until your commitment is over. Well, our commitment doesn't end until when? Death. So right now, all of us, we belong to Jesus. So he says, these are my rules. This is what I have called you to do. These are the things that I want you to be focused on. These are the things that I want you to prioritize in your life. This is the way I want you to live. Now, I asked the question earlier as to whether most Christians would consider living sacrifices as normal, basic Christian living. And it it was reasonable. And if not, why not? Why would many Christians across the country, right here in Richmond, not be able to explain the concept, and even if they could, say, I I disagree with that. I I don't think God's... I mean, really. There's many people that would call themselves Christians that would not know the text, and you kind of explain to them that God wants us to yield our entire will. I don't believe that. I believe he wants me to do whatever I, you know, what I kind of like to do, and he, he's got his eye on me, and uh, he kind of directs me, and I, and I, and I do what, he kind of gave me the desires to do this or that, and say, what? no, that's not it. He, he's asked us all to lay down our lives that we would be his lights and witnesses. Now, this doesn't mean we don't live in the world, I'm not saying that. But the better question would be, what about most church-going Americans? Because Church-going Americans are not necessarily born-again believers. They're, they're in a church, but it doesn't mean that they're receiving sound doctrine. It doesn't mean that they're receiving what the apostles taught or what Christ taught. They're receiving things, and they're receiving bits and pieces of discipleship, but they're not receiving the whole counsel of God. Uh, what is actually being taught, in other words, what is being taught Uh, are Christians being taught that to lay down our lives for Jesus is reasonable and normal. When you think about our brothers and sisters around the world, I don't know how many of you read things like Voice of the Martyrs or you read Gospel for Asia. When you read about many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, they think it's normal, normal, that they would be ostracized for following Christ. Right? Am I making that up or is there not just tons and tons of stories where you can read where they're like, oh, it's normal that we would, they think it's normal that the world won't accept them. They think it's normal that it might cost them financially, socially, even their lives in China, in Iran, in Pakistan, in Syria. Now they didn't, I'm not saying that they think it's great and it's what they desire, but they think it is normal. Because 
they read the scripture and they say, well, happened to the apostles, happened to Jesus, happened to the prophets, happened to just about everyone I can find in the Bible, right? So they think by, if it, if it was that way then, it probably would be the same way. And of course, Jesus said all this. We went through this a couple Sundays ago where he said, you know, don't think it's strange. This, is, this would be normative. Now, not every place in the world is the same, but still we're called to be living sacrifices and say, Lord, this would be reasonable that I would surrender my life to you. I was reading this week an article, uh, just a couple, it might have been yesterday, but it was uh, yesterday the day before, reading an article this week in the Christian Post about a new series that's coming to Bravo on TV called Thicker Than Water. I don't know if any of you heard about this. Anyone heard about it? It's coming to Bravo called Thicker Than Water. And it's about a southern Christian family in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, that claims they've been called to be rich and to flaunt their wealth. Again, southern, just your average southern Christian family. And, and here's what they said, uh, or one of the family members said, with the, belief, with the belief that God wants us all to be millionaires, the family aims to be the best and brightest in everything they do. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean... All of us should do our best. I don't, that's not an issue. The best and the brightest, or at least whatever we try and do, that we do it well. But the, the belief that they have is that God wants us all to be millionaires. And this is a quote from uh, the, the mother or the patriarch of the family. There's the father who's called the patri- patriarch and the mother matriarch. Sorry, And she says this, The first time I realized that God wanted us to be rich... I was a senior in college, and I saw this phenomenal man and woman of God standing up preaching the word in honey. I don't know what that, I mean, I know honey's in the Bible, and I know that, but uh, uh, standing up and preaching the word and honey. Ain't nothing broke about them. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, this is the Jesus that I know. And goes on, she goes on to say, we do everything big, his and her Mercedes, airplanes, houses, but we're just doing what God called us to do. Really. There's no problem here with a couple of things. It's not, it's not, this, the issue is not wealth in and of itself. Understand that. The issue is not the family. I didn't use any family names because it's not, the issue is not the family. The issue here is philosophy that's found nowhere in Scripture. If God gives you wealth like he did for Job, praise the Lord. But there's no philosophy, there's no doctrine in the Bible, quite the opposite. I can give you dozens of verses that warn of wealth, but only a handful that would say the opposite. Dozens. Matter of fact, Jesus, and we're not even counting the fact that when Jesus met the rich young ruler, what did he want him to do? And he also said that it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And that's Jesus speaking. And, of course, the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head at all. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. This philosophy, though, it's a double poison. You know, of course, Bravo wants to put it on there because people will enjoy it. Why would Bravo want to put it on there? Because, on the one hand, people that believe in this philosophy, for them it reinforces their, their bad doctrine. Well, that's exactly what I believe. For the unsafe world, this is a, the devil gets a two-for-one here. 
For the unsaved world, they look on and say, I knew Christians were all only about money. It's, it is Satan with one pitch knocks two out of the park. Because the people, the 20% of the, the church today that believes in this false prosperity doctrine says, I agree with that. Amen. Big old Mercedes tells the world that God loves me. And, and, and I've never seen anyone chase down a Mercedes and say, can you tell me how I can help know Jesus? No. In the unsafe world that already, already pursues money, that's what they, they say. So I, then pastors like me and Save people like you have to overcome that when you're really witnessing to someone who really does want to get saved. And they say, but all y'all want money. I saw that Bravo TV show. And we have to unravel it. And say, I know a lot of people use the name Christ. It's nowhere in the Bible. Well, they had a verse that said, you know, yes, that was taken way out of context. Because there is a verse or two that you can take mammothly out of context. And Peter warned about this. He said some people take Paul's letters and twist them to their own destruction. This is the opposite of being a living sacrifice. This is the opposite of, he just says in verse 2, and don't be conformed to this world. What does the world pursue? Money? Status? One of their children, the youngest child, says this, being the youngest in my family has its perks. I know just what to say, just what to do. To basically get what I want, it's pretty easy. Folks, that is, that is world 101. Get what you want. Say whatever needs to be said to get what you Use flattery if it means flattery. Uh, shade the truth if it means shade the truth. You know, really say the right thing. Even if you don't mean it, this is what's being taught. Bad, bad philosophy. We're not called, again, this family, every other way, I don't know anything about them. Every other way, they might be a really moral family. We're not called, I mean, I understand that, you got to understand, we're not called to live moral lives. We're called to live holy lives. There's a big difference. A lot of people believe, yeah, I want to do, I want to live a good moral life. A lot of unsaved people strive to live at some level a good moral life. I mean, again, their standard may not be all the standards of God, but it's certainly some of the standards of God. I'm not even sure where they got them sometimes. But we're not called just to live a good moral life with ample pleasure for ourselves. We're called to live holy lives. Again, and, and this is not about, I'm not speaking out against money per se. It doesn't matter. You can put anything else in its place. You can put any kind of pleasure. Matter of fact, uh, because it's money, which actually has a, uh, a false standard of value in our country, and it is lifted up as a, an okay form of idolatry in the church, right? There's many other sins that we wouldn't even be able to put in there where this family and every other family said, oh, that's, I can't do that, that's wickedness, right? Well, when John said, little children, keep yourself from idols, he was speaking of a lot of different idols. Inclusive of that is the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil, right? And then to attribute it uh, to Jesus, but you wouldn't attribute anything else. Say, well, then, uh, you know, that would be like saying, it's fine, okay, you know, our family lives for uh, all kinds of sexual immorality, or our family lives for some other kind of uh, idolatry. 
that wouldn't be acceptable either. But as believers, in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. It's not just to be conformed and act like the world, but it's not to have the world's mentality. We understand the difference? It's, it's, it goes beyond just, all right, I'm not, ain't going to lie, ain't going to cuss, ain't going to chew, ain't going to date people to do, right? You've heard those things? It goes beyond that. That, that kind of list of do's and don'ts falls apart eventually, even in your own life, doesn't it? Because that's legalism. I, I, I live by, whereas it's different than living unto. We're not living by, we are living sacrifice, living unto Christ, which is transformational. The Holy Spirit takes that heart and then empowers us to live and to walk in Christ. I thought we might uh, be short on time. We only got through one bullet point. So that means I am ready and set for our next Wednesday night. I just gave myself a lot of time back for other things. Uh, I knew that this would be... But I really want us to understand what Paul is saying. It's it's not... (laughs) It has to be at the heart level, doesn't it? It has to be resigning yourself in commitment to saying, Lord, I get this. You gave your life for me. It's reasonable that I would give my life back to you. I mean, your life is but a vapor anyway, right? That's what the scriptures say. Your life's but a vapor. So, Lord, I, I will live it for you. And for some of you, when we get into next week, uh, and actually not just next uh, week, but uh, the week after, although next week is prayer, but when we get into the next, we've got more to cover in, in this 12th chapter. You know, for some of you, this will be being a living sacrifice in your workplace. You're not going to be called to be a pastor necessarily like me. You'll still continue to do the same things you do, but the Lord wants you to do them as a living sacrifice. That makes sense? That there would be opportunities that would change. There would be more lives impacted. There would be really a distinct, fragrant difference between us and the world the more we're a living sacrifice. That makes sense? But if the world looks on, and, I, and again, again, the Bravo series is an extreme example. But sometimes extreme examples help make the point, right? That's an extreme example. I think many Christians will reject that out of hand and say, that is just nothing but ratings goofiness, right? But at the same time, the extreme example that I can live any way I want, acquire all that I want, is still problematic in the less extreme example where the Lord's saying, hey, I know you don't believe you can do anything you want, but you still don't believe that you're supposed to be my living sacrifice. Right? You have the, 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 the big extremes there where the Lord is still saying, yeah, but I've been asking you to do this for quite some time. And you continue to tell me, Lord, I can't do that. Which is really to say, Lord, I won't do that. And we've all been guilty of that, haven't we? And the Lord is saying, you've got to lay it down. You've got to commit. I mean, some of you, I mentioned, the Lord might be speaking to you for months that you need to be at Bonaire. But Lord, if I do that, I love the Sunday night football. And God might say, I know, but I love the lost souls far more, right? And so these little things that the Lord is speaking to us about. He wants us to lay these things down. 
Uh, and, and really, when we do that, when we really give that up, we see entire breakthroughs in our Christian walk in many other areas. You'll see new victories where just little things that we refuse to let go of, the Lord says, now that you've done that, you're going to see, you know, maybe things you've been praying for, maybe boldness you don't have, maybe it's a, 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 you know, a power in your prayer life, maybe it's uh, an issue in your marriage, I mean, whatever it may be, God says, I will release my blessing on these other areas when, but not until, we're yielded. Amen? And that's what the Lord is saying. I, I will get through that we get into the spiritual gifts and and uh, how to live like a believer, and there's a lot that God uh, intends to do with us, and He will do with us, but not until uh, we have laid down our lives and considered it, again, to be reasonable. I, I th- I'm pretty thankful, I hope you are as well, that, uh, that uh, the Lord, I wasn't born in where some of our brothers and sisters live around the world. I mean, uh, unbelievable what it cost. But at the same time, our love for Christ should be the same. You know, God forbid that you know, the same things would come our way. Would we still be those living sacrifices? Would we still say, Lord, you know, I still love you as much when I don't have what I have today? 